Hello and welcome to episode 64 of the Boss Podcast, the podcast where we dive into the vast archive of talks given at Boss Conferences over the years to hear some of the amazing and thought-provoking sessions given by world-leading thinkers. I'm Kirk Bailey and this week on the Boss Podcast we welcome Bridget Harris of You Can Book Me and her talk, Hiding the Best Talent. Business of Software podcast, sharing sessions from our conferences and discussions with software people that will make you think. Find out more at businessofsoftware.org. Who you hire will make the single biggest difference to your business. That's the premise Bridget Harris bases her talk on. As founder of a SaaS company, Bridget knows this firsthand and wants to help you make sure you hire the right people for your business. In this talk, she will cover how it's not just about trying to find the so-called rockstar developers. It's about building up a company culture that will form the basis of attracting the most talented people who will want to work for you. Every industry struggles with diversity and inclusion, which makes recruitment an ever-hotting-up topic. Bridget reminds us that it's important to be as open as possible for people of all backgrounds to work for your company. Happy listening. My talk is Who You Hire will make the single biggest difference to your, dif- to your business. And that's obviously an argument that I'm going to make um, in the next half an hour. And I'm interested to know whether um, you, know, you guys have had a different opinion or, or if anything I say doesn't, doesn't quite fit. Because this is essentially what I think, having done this for quite a few years, um, is the conclusion that I've come to. And let's start from the beginning. Who we hope we're going to hire when we put out that job advert and um, wait for the, the responses to come in. You know, this is who we want, sort of range of people, talented, the rock stars, you know, the people that are going to make us feel like we have an absolutely um, an incredible company to, to boast about. And as software companies, as tech companies, we know we're under always this sort of cloud of suspicion that this is who everyone assumes we're going to hire and that this is just sort of a, you know, some kind of a cliche that we can't get away from. And in a way, there's a part of us that is secretly afraid. This is who we might hire. You know, like, how do we end up with these people? Um, but actually, the reality is, for most of us, this is who we actually hire. Yay! Give yourselves a round of applause. Yay! <laughs> because really, as Natalie said yesterday, We're just running regular businesses. We're just trying to do our best. We're just trying to find good people who we enjoy working with to do good things. That's basically it, isn't it? So how do you get the best people to work for you? And I think that, I mean, this is sort of the, you know, each each, each conference speaker will probably focus on a different one of this. I think it's roughly around culture, processes, product, and leadership. And anybody can say one of those things is going to make the critical difference. Again, to sort of atomize it a bit further, I think that you know, your company is made up of people who spend money on building and selling products and services. It's pretty simple. But the, I think the, the, the material point here is people who spend money. It's not about vision or you know, an exciting solution or passion. It comes down to the success of your business comes down to people who spend money. Now, money is a big thing. I mean, we're bootstrapped company, so this has always been for us a massive you know, question. Do we raise money? How much do we spend? How much is in the bank account? You know, how much can we run, run for before we fall over? 
And so there's always this, this, this fear, oh, well, maybe if we just got like a million pounds, that would really help us out because we could spend it. Well, look, in case there was any doubt about this, this is TechCrunch, 10 of the most funded startups to fail in 2017, including the famous Juicer. Do you remember the Juicer? So $450 thing, that's just absolutely incredible. So it's really quite enjoyable. I mean, it's awful to admit this. It's sort of to, to watch, watch some of these things go down. But, um, the, um, but they, 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 they did, sadly, employ hundreds of people. So this is people that money went towards hiring, and then those people spent that money. And together, they burned through $1.7 billion. That is, my friends, $1.7 billion dollars. That is a lot of money. And so those people were told that their job was some mission or, or something. It was about, you know, really accessible squeezed fruit. But, but were they? Were they? What, were they? what were they doing, basically? If somebody gave us $1.7 billion, the wrong people will spend your money on the wrong things. The wrong people will spend your money on the wrong things. So that's why, yeah, and let's talk about the wrong things. Now, when I was preparing for this, one of my um, colleagues said, yeah, you want to make a list of what those wrong things are. You know, you want to sort of have this long list. And I realize that you could say all sorts of things. But basically, it comes down to, this is you, this is your money. <laughs> now. <laughs> The wrong things is, I mean, it could be marketing, it could be consultants, it could be hiring too many people, it could be anything. Really, the wrong, the wrong things is things that bear no relation to creating profit in your company. If you realize that if you just spend $10,000 and what you get out at the end is that you don't have $10,000 in your bank account, you shouldn't be spending it. If you can then, if you make an argument to say, well, I'll do this, I'll do that, and I'm going to get $12,000 back, you've made $2,000 profit. It's worth it. It's essentially, that's as simple as that. Otherwise, you end up like that cat. Now, um, before he passed, Steve Jobs actually did mandate every tech conference to quote him at least uh, <laughs> once a day. Jason got the straw yesterday. I was the one picked by Mark to do it today. So, Steve, he said, we wanted people that were insanely great at what they did. The neatest thing that happens is when you get a core group of 10 great people, it becomes self-policing as to who they let into that group. It's a very, very attractive notion. And in that um, interview, and uh, uh, Jason showed you a picture of them yesterday, this is the group in the 70s that were building the Macintosh, and they were so happy and excited and thrilled that they got to work with each other. So Steve, you know, he's obviously quite young at this point, he said, so I consider the most important job for someone like myself is recruiting, and we'd all agree with him. We can see where he is. I mean, what could possibly go wrong. Yeah, hands up who feels like Steve. You know, hands up who's done that. Come on, guys, who, come on. Who, you know, you know you have done it at some point. And everybody does it at some point. Everybody realizes that they've ended up with somebody that wasn't the quite right match. In Steve's case, obviously, it was the um, chief executive of Apple who turned out to end up firing Steve thinking that was the solution. And we all, you know, we know how that turned out. So this is, why my, this is my argument. Who you hire will make the single biggest difference to your business. Now, in 2010, you can book me, myself and Keith. We were lucky because we had no money and no people. <laughs> this is us. Around the same kind of time, we were learning how to do rollerblading. 
Now, since 2010, I've spent seven years trying to work out how to run my business. It's lucky I've never done rollerblading since that day. In fact, actually, you can even see the hand of the person realizing that it was a mistake <laughs> to, to even suggest the notion to me that I should get on these, these things. But with um, the business, we've had no choice. You know, you, you, like rollerblading, if you fall over, you say, I am never doing this again. But in business, you make a mistake, you realize, like, I've got to get up, I've got to figure this out. I have got to keep going. We have customers. And this is our team, so we're very small. There's, um, uh, there's 10 of us in total, and there's me and Keith, and there's a contractor. So in effect, we, we, we actually hire seven, we, we employ seven people. We are miniature. So I've met loads of you guys where you're working in companies of hundreds of people. But maybe this is the equivalent of building a team if you're not um, in a, a size that's sort of similar to me and Keith. But actually, this isn't, this isn't the story. This isn't the size of You Can Book Me. This is the number of people I've had contact with, or we've talked to, or we've hoped to hire, or we've tried to get involved, or there's been hits and misses. And really, the question in my mind was, how come these guys um, made, it, made it through? So all the reasons why hiring goes wrong, why it's stressful, why it's emotionally exhausting, why you suddenly find yourself, your entire week's been completely banjaxed, because you end up having to do something to do with one of these topics. It's nothing about product or vision. It's about this stuff. So I'm interested in that. Like, why, why did the people that now work for us, why did they make it through? I even said this to them. Why are we the last men standing, you know, in, in, in this process? And I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know why people do that. <laughs> why do some people just don't get the memo? You're all sat there. You're all sat there. You totally think you know. And then, and then somebody does that, and you're like, why did you just do that? <laughs> Didn't you? <laughs> why? That's, that's, so we've had too many of those situations where I just find myself thinking, why did you do that? I'm going to take that off. So my answer, this is my answer. Create a confidence in your culture that will attract and retain the best for your company. Believe in your culture. Um, so in the talk, I'm going to cover those, those questions. I'm going to say about why I think culture is important. Um, Jason was talking about it again yesterday. He said, you, know, you, want to, you need to know who you are. I'm also going to talk about how you can systemize culture. This is the good news for all of you in the room, I know. And you can systemize hiring. And I think it's the best we can do. It's what you know, regular businesses can do, is figure something out as best they can and try to point themselves in the right direction. Know thyself. This is Hnothi Satan, it's ancient Greek, and it's Greek for know thyself. And I'm sure many of you recognize this phrase, and it was about the ancient Greek philosophy of personal enlightenment. enlightenment. Their other phrase was nothing in excess. Two very, very powerful sentiments and very simply um, expressed. And I think that's why we have a problem often, is because we don't know whether it's us or whether it's them. When you're having that conversation with somebody in your team, they've just done something completely off the wall, you think, why is that? And when you have to fire them sadly, or when they leave, you, know, you end up in this kind of engagement. And we were there. We had too many of those conversations. So we realized that you know, when we were having this conversation, we were saying, right, this is what we want to do, guys. This is our vision. This is, this is what we're trying to achieve with the company. And we'd have our team at the time, and, you know, their reaction, what they were doing, bore no relation to what I was saying to them. And I realized we had a problem. We were the problem people. We built a company around what we thought 
we wanted, but actually it didn't correspond to the people that worked for us or that we'd hired. And this is because by being some of the problem people, you know what it feels like to be in an organization that you don't, you don't you know, sort of have synergy with. So as a result, you end up going and building your own company. This is what a lot of us in this room have done. But you have to remember that just because you don't um, agree necessarily with somebody in your company that you've hired, it doesn't make them the wrong person. It might mean that you've just set it out badly. And by knowing and understanding that we were the problem people once ourselves, it helps guide you to something which is obviously going to give you better alignment. So, a development of that. I want to create a company um, that I want to work for, and then you aim to hire people who want similar outcomes as you. Now, that is not the same thing as saying, I need to hire people like me. Um, because if I just hired a whole load of people like me, then I don't get any more than just more of me. And I don't think anybody needs more than me, more of me. I think that what we want is people who share my vision, share what Keith wants to do, share what we're actually trying to achieve. That is what's really important. But, and this is what I've learned, once you figure that out, you document it, describe it, defend it, talk about it, share it, hire on the basis of it, fire on the lack of it, you judge people on it, and you make decisions based on it. You give yourself an operating system, essentially. So this is how we've done it. This is how we've documented it. We've documented our culture, and same talking about who we are. We've documented our policies and procedures. And now, quite recently, actually, we're starting to document more our performance reviews, our sort of appraisals. Um, and this is our culture document. I know that's lots of very small writing, so don't worry. I don't expect you to be reading it all. And I'm very happy to post a link to it as a Google doc, so I can post a link to it in the Slack channel later. But this is who we are. And when somebody starts working for You Can Book Me, I send them this link. I send them an email that says, hey, I'm Bridget. These are, these are the things that are important to us. Read this document because it's really important. And we'll be referring back to it during your time working for us. Commitment to excellence, curiosity and optimism, find and share the solution, confidence and transparency, simple is beautiful, tolerance and respect. And because we have a simple is beautiful value, this is all we have. Six slides, six values. And we say that they should be defined um, as core principles, whether we are 10 or 1,000 people strong. And we want people to understand, live, and champion them. And these are all the kind of questions that those values um, are going to give us an operating system to help us understand. And if so, for example, if you don't have a culture deck, if you don't have that list of principles, and obviously, while well, they've got 10 principles, we've got um, six, you know, there is, if you don't have something like that, start answering these questions, and you'll start to see in how you can put something together. Talking to your team is obviously the right thing to do. You can start to put together a whole series of, like, well, this is, is actually how we work, or this is actually how we fire, or why, or what's good, or what's, what's bad. You know, how you define a performance is really important. It's really important. Is it competitive? Is it collaborative? Is it points-based? You know, what, what, what you're actually trying to ask your employees to do for you. How do you socialize? And as a team, you know, how are, how are things defined um, in terms of your social interaction? Um, do you know what everybody thinks? If I asked you um, to tell me about every single employee in your team or in your company and about who they are and what they think, would you be able to tell me? Do people feel safe? It's a really, really important question. You know, I think that when you end up getting culture wrong, when you end up um, giving the impression that something is right, because you've got, let's say, for example, you know, off the top of my head, always be hustling, you know, is that a value that's actually giving people permission to do something that, in fact, doesn't make people feel safe? 
And also, to flip it, if anybody came up to a member of your company and said, what does your company stand for? Are they able to articulate the values of the company? Where do you want to work? Do you want to work here? Yay, I want to work there. No, I don't want to work there. Do you want to work here? This is the reaction many people have had to you know, that first working environment. Do you know that downstairs or in the same building, there's the Institute of Corporate Directors or something? They're having a meeting right here. I think we should take them on. You know, I think we should, like, <laughs> they're there. You know? they're, 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 they're going for you know, those people, basically, are, are in, in, in this building. So here we are. And actually, for You Can Book Me, we are a remote company. So this is us. This is, who, this is, this is we're saying, you've got to work for us. This is, this is your work environment. You've got, to, you've got to basically survive. Because there is no, well, there are parachutes, probably. <laughs> yeah, that'd be mean. <laughs> so when they work, you've got this, OK? Again, it all starts to feel a bit boring, doesn't it? Like, oh. Online management, don't like the sound of that. So we tend to ignore that when we think about hiring. What we tend to think about is performance. We need more things. We need more things to happen. Better productivity, happier people, performance, performance. Let's hire, let's hire, let's hire. And then we forget about all this stuff in the middle. We don't know who we're hiring to. We just think if we hire people, if we spend money, we're going to get some kind of performance out the other end. Now, all of this in the middle matters. It matters all the time because you see people falling over themselves at any one of these stages and you end up struggling thinking we need to figure out some more roles. So I think you need to be able to describe every stage. You need to see what every stage looks like in your company. If you work for your company, what does each one of these things look like? How does it work? How can you document it? And I suppose, you know, with people and money, it isn't just, it isn't an unknown thing. There are actually buckets of activity and work where you can measure what's going on. So you can measure that there's all of this stuff going on here to do with people. Obviously, this is HR, a lot of it. And there's all of this stuff to do with financing. And I know it's a boring slide. I know. So let's put that little guy on. Make us happy whilst we think about it. Yeah, he's mesmerizing. But you can't ignore these things. This is what happens to you, whether you like it or not. When you're thinking about your software project, this is actually what's happening to you. So when we started You Can Book Me, it happens in the UK. You're statutorily obliged to do this. Um, you have to have policies and procedures. And they have to sign it off. It's extremely boring. And I didn't take it very seriously at the beginning. So I was like, yeah, OK, fine, whatever, whatever, whatever. We've got an HR consultancy in. You can buy boilerplate handbooks really easily. If you don't have one, they're very easy to get. Um, lawyers tend to have them. Accountants have them. And they just list all of the various things that will do. And, in, and, 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 and frankly, what your policies and procedures of any company is going to do is set out the rules of engagement about you know, how much we pay you, what we expect you to do, and how we're going to fire you. And then you follow those rules of engagement when you're dealing with your, your staff. So I put it into a wiki, into Confluence, and I got all the really boring stuff at the bottom. And then I sort of put some summary pages up. So anybody who, who joins You Can Book Me, they have to read through this and they have to sign it to say, yes, I've read it. Obviously, like what you wear in a tech company is a bit ridiculous. So um, my summary wasn't very serious on that one. And then um, we do annual appraisals, um, where we refer to our values in our, in our yearly kind of catch up on what, what, what's going well, you know, what are you trying to achieve. And, it, and again, you know, in the first couple of years, I didn't think this was very serious. I thought this is what boring HR internal performance manager people wanted to do, and the last thing I wanted to do was do it. And then I realized, like Steve Jobs, that actually, you know, you have to, you have to, your central concern in your company for its success is to understand your human resource. 
what your people are going to do. So now, every year, we ask people to list what they believe they have done consistent with our values. And if you didn't remember them the first time, let's go through them. Commitment to excellence, curiosity and optimism, find and share the solution, confidence, transparency, simple is beautiful, tolerance and respect. They write them all down, manager writes them all down, we have a big discussion. Okay, so that's fine, but that's annual. So now, recently, we've decided we need to catch up every three months. Because we hadn't before, things were sliding, and again, we got to that situation where people were doing stuff that was slightly off topic and we didn't understand it. So in our quarterly one-to-ones, we get them to fill something out that looks like this. First of all, we ask them to um, do deliver results and being proactive and take responsibility. And then on our third measure, we ask them to demonstrate um, you can book me values. And then we get them to score it. It's quite mean. Nobody wants to work for me now. He's like, I don't want to do that. You have to, we, have, we make them score themselves. So they have to score themselves one to five on each of these sections. And then the manager has to score them. So that's, you know, potential 15 out of 15. And clearly we're looking for a high-end uh, number out of 15. And the other thing I did was this time I'm looking into, and if anybody does this, I'd be really grateful if you come up to me afterwards and tell me how you do it. I'm now exploring an interest. Uh, I want to develop this into basically peer-to-peer feedback and appraisal. So I want to get the sort of 360-degree um, support that you can get where the whole team can collaborate in appraising each other based on this kind of scoring or these sorts of measures. Because ultimately, where I see things go wrong in our team, it's nothing to do with me because they're always really nice to me. They always do what I ask them to do. And it isn't actually about me. It's about the way they work with their team members. And that's what I'm interested in. So. When I was preparing for these slides, I actually asked a couple of our team members what they thought. And one of them said, I've never worked somewhere before where it's so clear what the values of the company are. In my past jobs, I had seen things that made me feel uncomfortable, but I didn't feel confident enough to speak up. Now I would. And I felt really, really gratified to hear that, because this is a guy that had worked in all sorts of um, big companies, and he'd seen behaviors that he didn't like, or people making comments that he thought were a little bit off, and he just didn't know what to do. And I think that's probably most of the time, that's how most of us feel. When you see somebody do behaviors, and you think, Ooh, oh, that's, I wouldn't have said that. But then we don't, we don't have the social cues to take action. Ironically, now in my company, he is, he's, he's ready for it. He's like, I'm, I'm ready to intervene anytime I, you know, I see anybody say or do anything inappropriate or not according to you can book me values because I've made it so clear. Another person said, this is the most open company I've ever worked for. And I am gratified because it's not accidental. This is not sort of just because me and Keith happen to you know, be nice people, we happen to have a nice company. We've worked at it. We've actually created a process. We've thought about it. We iterate on it, and we document it. So you've got your culture doc. You've got your policies and procedures. Congratulations. You may start to hire, because my basic argument is as soon as you know who you are, you know what you're trying to achieve, and crucially, you know what happens if you get the wrong person you can start hiring for the right person. Because hiring the wrong person is the most expensive thing that can happen to your company. It really is. So you want to work hard to avoid doing that. Now, the biggest obstacle you have in hiring the best talent, this is the big secret. Get it here first, folks. It's you. You are the biggest obstacle. Why are you the biggest obstacle? Because you want that hire. 
You want that hire so bad because your team is screaming out for it because you know, everybody is strung out because you need to get the, you know, the, the, the new product uh, rollout on time and you know, your clients are going up the walls and you just, you just know that you just need to add people and you want that hire, you want it so badly that you will start to trick yourself and the people that you're talking to um, are gonna be right for your company. And this is another reason why you're the biggest obstacle, because you guys are decision makers. You really like making decisions. It's really good. It's rational. You want to make a decision. So it's logical. You set up a recruitment process where you put an advert, and then you do all the stuff, and it makes no time. You do this, and you end up with five people, and they also, and then you end up with one person. You've already told yourself that you want to hire that person. You don't want to suddenly turn around and say, oh, my God, the last two months have been a complete waste of time because we're not hiring him. So you are, you are geared to make a decision and to hire that person. So I developed some slides to help you think about that, about how you should treat that momentum. It took me a long time to do this, by the way. <laughs> yeah, thank you. It, it did, actually, because I'm not a PowerPoint person, not normally. I was quite pleased. I gave up a movie on the plane to do that for you people today. So how do you do that? Now, I've got a new <laughs> way of doing it. I think that these, I suddenly realize, I know this sounds a bit ridiculous because we've had our culture doc for like three years. But this year, I've realized, no, 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 I actually wrote the operating manual to help me understand who I should hire. Tolerance and respect, find and share the solution, confidence and transparency. You guys are going to know this. Simple is beautiful, curiosity and optimism, commitment to excellence. That's what we're trying to hire for. That's what we're going for. That's what we performance review people for. That's what we're expecting. We need to hire and fire based on our stated values. So, it's clear to people what we're going for. So when we, and um, I know this sounds ridiculous to like, just see my previous talk, but in Dublin last year, I did a, a talk for Mark which was on hiring very specifically, like how do we actually advertise, anonymize, you know, and get candidates in, the sort of Joel Spolsky hire, no hire thing. So I don't want to go over all that again, but in, in summary, um, what we try to do a lot with when we do hire is that we start to essentially try to remove bias from our process. So we, when we shortlist candidates, we create anonymized questionnaires. We cut information out. So for example, let's say we're hiring for an engineer. I will do all of the process. I'll create a spreadsheet. We'll ask them questions, of technical questions, and then I'll have four answers to the same question. And then I'll present it to Keith or somebody else, and I'll say, look at those four answers. Which answer do you like best? They will know nothing about that person. It really is really powerful, and you can do it on any role and in any situation, because you, your number one problem is your bias, your momentum, your, des your desire to make it work is so powerful, you have to basically put processes in to stop you. So having an interviewer, having been able to split your interviewers so that you have a fresh pair of eyes on the candidate, so that you know that the bias that is being built up not just any of your kind of natural subconscious or unconscious bias, but also just your bias to want to hire is being, is being um, allowed for. Um, so you can avoid that momentum. So you find somebody and you're really excited because you've done all of this, you've spent ages, you've heard Bridget's talk, you think, I've got to do it, got to do it, do it, do it. ready to make it off a great, 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 great. And then this is what you need to think. You are Neo. All those people want you to hire that person because you've got the momentum and they want you to do it. And you have to stand there and say, no. You have to be strong and say, no, I'm not now going to hire this person. I'm going to look for reasons why this person is wrong for my company, because I am not going to make a mistake. I'm not going to be like Steve, is what you have to say to yourself. So references. This is kind of my new big thing. 
I realize that I, people ask me for references, and I think, I don't, I'm not going to say what I really think about that person. It's just, I'm not going to get involved. That's really tricky. I'm going to keep it really like one sick day turned up. You know, that's really all you people say. So, so as a result, we end up, all of us are probably, you know, hiring different people from each other. We're all sending each other these weird and completely pointless bits of information about um, employees. We know nothing about these people, really. They've gone through our process, but we still don't. All we know is what they've told us. So this uh, summer, we were doing some hiring, and um, I asked for some references. And obviously, it's an important point, because if you say, can you give me references, before you've made an offer, and they're a bit funny about it, well, that's a no-hire right there, if they can't tell you, you know, a few people that they've worked with before who are willing to say something about them. As it happens, I didn't ask him for this. He gave me seven, I think, emails. He gave me the three previous companies he'd worked for, an email address of a colleague and of a line manager. And I was like, whoa. This is a gold mine, because I can ask these people anonymously what they think of this person. So having got the emails, and this, I'm going to do this from now on, um, not their current work, not something formal, but just to say to somebody, I want an email address from LinkedIn or some form of contact of your work colleague and your previous line manager. And then you look at your values and the questions and the words that are associated with those values. And then you create a questionnaire. This is what I did. Create a questionnaire based on those values, and you send it to all the people that you've got the email addresses for. Very friendly. You know, it's an anonymous survey. Nothing will be tracked. Just want to know what your impression is of this person when you work with them. And when you get the results, you can obviously quantify it, obviously, if you make it a uh, quantitative survey, and look for discrepancies. Worked beautifully. So do we read them out again, or should we just take it as read that you understand them now? All my values, I created 10 questions. So the things that I'm trying to come out of these values end up in how somebody works, because that's what you really want to know. Is this, how is this person going to work with you? So, and I mean, I would do it slightly differently next time. I made some mistakes. But you basically take your values and you create questions. And the result is this. This is obviously type form. Um, the result is you get likes collaborating, you know, 9 out of 10. Interested in other people, nine out of 10, real strength. What I did, the mistake I made was that I did some numerical ones that were the, the opposite, and that was a bit confusing. So you have to kind of avoid dissonance in terms of people wanting to click, yes, 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 yes. But it means that if you get a discrepancy, if you suddenly get six people all saying, really not so interested in other people, really not, you know, you're not asking them to submit a really super negative thing about that person. You're asking them to judge them on a scale where it could be that that's a strength in being interested in other people. Who knows what kind of role you're asking them to do? But you then can start to build up a picture of what other people think of this person, because that's what you're going to think of them when they start working for you. People are not that complicated. And if this is how they've behaved in previous jobs, they're going to work like that for you as well. And I was just talking to somebody earlier that for us, it's really important because we're remote. So as a remote company, these are the kind of things that start to become very painful if they're not perfect in a remote, in a remote uh, team. Now, this is my final topic, not a fit. So in our ATS, if you don't use an ATS, I really recommend you do, uh, because it, again, helps systemize the process of advertising and um, you know, managing applications and job vacancies and so on and so forth. And in the little drop-down, when you're trying to uh, code um, why you're not going to hire somebody, it comes up not a fit. And we all like saying, it's like, mm, not a fit, not a fit. Because maybe you've gone through all of this, and you've checked out your culture, and you've compared it against the person you've been interviewing, and you think, oh, I just don't think they're a fit. 
Now, I have a problem with that because we are all tribal. You have to figure out what tribe you are in because you are absolutely 100% in a tribe of one sort or another. And sometimes tribes are great. Sometimes tribes have huge strength. You can get great solidarity and you can get great team, you know, team, team productivity when everybody feels that they're in the right kind of team. So human beings naturally you know, gravitate towards each other to form groups because groups are stronger. So this is what we want to do. The problem with tribes is tribalism. And that's where the behavior and attitudes um, stem from strong loyalty to one's own tribe or social group actually turns into negative behavior. It turns into exclusion. And we all, you know, we all talk about inclusion, but actually what's happening is people are excluded. We are not, exclude, we are not um, recognizing our ability to naturally exclude people because we're feeling tribal about something. And this is how it starts, and it starts so, so gently and normally, you don't even know. You say, hey, do you know any good developers to your team? And this is the response. And then this is the other response. And suddenly your whole team is full of green, green developers. And you're like, no, 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 but I, just, I was just going to my network, I was just asking people, I just got good references. You know, I was just really keen that there'd be a fit. There needed to be a fit. Well, actually, no, I'm sorry. That is you being tribal. You're just inviting your tribe to invite other people into the same tribe. So you have to figure out what tribe you're in and get out of it. You have to get out of your comfort zone. You have to realize that you are made up of your own strong social preferences and that in order to build a robust team where you're open to all of the best talent, you have to go into places where you don't feel so comfortable. And it's not actually just a nice thing. It's also documented and academically researched and proven that diverse teams are stronger. They produce more creativity. There's more weird ideas that are coming out of those kind of teams. And they, long, you know, they last longer. And we all know diverse teams are the best story in Hollywood. Because all these people that joined together in the face of adversity, when they didn't like each other particularly, not that, definitely not that team, those guys, these guys, do you know these guys, Red Dwarf? Yeah, yeah come on. It's the best. Those guys, very diverse, those guys. And of course, there's the ultimate fellowship of diverse people who came together with a common goal. And I don't think you can get better than that. So that's my evidence, basically, Lord of the Rings. <laughs> but you might be thinking, ah, OK, that all sounds great, but I'm just going to code my way out of it. And yeah, there's a, good, there's a good argument for that. We all have built products out of fabulous software, and we know how to automate and streamline, and it sounds great. And as Mark was saying, you know, maybe we should just all try and hire Rockstar developers, and that will be our solution. What do you want to know what rock stars look like? That's what they look like. That's what you're going to get. You might get one rock star. You might even get two rock stars. And then basically, you're dealing with that. You haven't opened yourself up. <laughs> I'm glad somebody's laughing. <laughs> you could go to all of these people instead. This came up from the Linux Foundation. It's super easy. There's no excuse. Just go to their website. And look, they're all there. Those are all of the people. So if you just contact all those people, you're done. Oh, there's those people too. So yeah, just go to those people, and then you're done. Ah, oh, there's those people too. They're all there. But they're all the tribes. Those are all other tribes. Some of those tribes are going to make you feel comfortable. But then how would you feel when you go into their tribe versus they, how they feel coming into your tribe? 
So it's not really that difficult for us to understand the problem here, which is that we just have to be more confident as human beings to empathize with other tribes that we don't necessarily have immediate familiarity with. People and money determines what you do. That's what I said at the beginning. They spend your money. That's all that's happening in these, in these businesses. So when you have a mission, and when you think that what your company is about is your mission and your vision, and you just tell everybody what your mission is, I think you're missing something here. Because anybody can write this stuff. It took me about five minutes. Anybody can write this stuff. Mission statements. Bullshit. That's what I think. Nobody cares what you say. People care about what you do. People and money determines what you do. People and money determines your culture. And culture determines who you hire. So my final slide, I am appropriating a famous management theory by Peter Drucker that wasn't actually Peter Drucker because could nobody work out who said it, which was culture eats strategy for breakfast. I am now arguing that culture eats hiring for breakfast. And if you start with your culture, if you start knowing who you are, you learn how that has to work through your processes and policies and procedures, you will end up being the best, in the best possible shape you can be in to hire the best people for your company. Thank you. Oh. How long do you want to stare at him for? <laughs> do you remember a time when he was the most exciting thing on the internet? Like we hadn't, there was nothing else apart from animated Spider-Man. I'm finished, by the way, guys. Mike, do you want to do questions? Like, that, I'm done. That was me. <laughs> have we got time? We might have time. Wisdom thing. Um, sorry, I was just saying hello to another speaker and getting them set up. Thank you. That was brilliant. Right, questions. Yes, hi. We've got the mic, Elliot. Um, thank you for that. That was great. I wonder what, you, what your opinion is on um, probationary periods or um, mm -hmm. specifically hiring, say I have one, one role, specifically hiring three people to do a six-week project, maybe even the same six-week project, um, and then trying to pick or to A-B test them. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I think that's fair. That's absolutely fair enough. I don't think there's any problem with that. I do have, and Buffer have talked about this a lot, um, the, you know, the sort of the three-month thing, and we do it. So we do it partly in slightly different arrangements, so we do versions of it. So in America, when we hire, we literally give them a three-month contract, which is kind of a, hire, a fire at will, three-month-and-you're-done contract. And then... So very excitingly, I know this sounds terrible, we put them onto a European contract, which has all of the terms and conditions where we don't fire at will and all that kind of business, but they don't get any of that until they've gone through their three-month thing. And sadly, it has, I've had to do it twice where um, they haven't made it through that three months. But we make it very clear. And we've also not hired some people we've made an offer to where we explained that to them and they went, no, I just, I, I, you know, they, in a way, you'd think they didn't have enough faith in themselves to, to make it through. Um, so I do believe in that. And then in, in, in the UK and Europe, we, do, we will either do contracts or we will do, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's the same thing. It's just because we have to do a contract which has a probationary period. But it's, in effect, it's the same thing, which is, is terminating the contract without, without, um, without notice. We've done a test as well. Have we? Yeah. Oh, this is Keith. Oh, Oh, we did, we did, I remember that. You better have a microphone, Keith. A, um, 
Robin, can you get the microphone? Thank you. Yeah, we did this thing one time, which worked. It was really interesting. I, I don't know why we haven't repeated it. Um, it's, we, <laughs> we, so we, we gave we it gave was a weird the, idea, the four or five people idea. the job. So they're contractors. We actually paid them to do the same job. So it was a simple algorithm we needed them to read, write, just go away and do it. We actually had a solution already, but we all said, look, okay, this is part of the process, but it's not, it's not it's, most importantly, it's not a, a, you know, one of those whiteboard programming tests. No, no, you're working for us today. Here's, here's some money, go away and do it. And it was really fascinating because we got back this set of results. Do you remember there was that? Um, somebody changed the unit test. Somebody changed the unit test to pass so, it. So his solution it's would like, work. It was incredible. Like, what, I mean, this is the part of the hiring process. So you're, what you're telling me, you're going to be changing the unit test so they all pass? <laughs> oh, you've got a job. You're in. You're in a stun my way of working. It, no, but it was, it was incredible. It was incredible to see yeah. you know, how much information we got out of that process. So it, 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 it is possible. I'd forgotten that. Thank you. And back, back to you there. Hi, thanks for the talk. Uh, I, I think it's very interesting how you try to to explore the references, but don't you think there's kind of a bias for good answers? And how do you in the in the questionnaire? Yeah. Um, so I mean, as I said, this was literally the first time I did it, yeah. and so I could see, and I did it quite quickly. So I, but I could see immediately what the issues were. That you what you you have to think about it, um, because you don't. So for example, this was this was a Spanish developer that I was. Um, trying to hire, and I used a word. I, 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 um, I, the question I asked was, how, how judgmental do you think this person is? And in, and in British English, judgmental is quite a negative word. Like, are you opinionated? You know, are you judging other people? But in, in Spanish, he, he was scoring like nine and ten, and I was thinking he doesn't come across as judgmental, but that's interesting. And then <laughs> I thought, I asked our Spanish developers. I said, do you know what the word judgmental means? And Antonio said, yeah, it means making good decisions. No, it doesn't. No, <laughs> it doesn't mean that. So, 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 so you have to, you have to allow, you have to be super careful. And as I said, the other thing that I realised was, I think that I was, you can't, you, I think, um, you have to be able to. What I was trying to do was ask questions that essentially were worded differently, but also made coming to the same point. And if they had the same score for each of those sentences, you could sort of test against. But you're only—I mean, this sounds awful. I love Typeform, but you can only have ten questions on Typeform on the free version. So I was limited to my ten fields, but I think I'll probably upgrade. Um, but, um, <laughs> but, but they did a great job. But so I would think next time I would do more of that. But I wouldn't have those where one is the best answer or ten is the best answer. And another one is we said like like likes to hack things fast. Now actually, obviously, we're not. One of our values is clean machine. We're not looking for people who are just going to hack away and basically shove in solutions just because it works today. We're looking for people who like clean systems. But sometimes you just need somebody to you know, fix a bug and roll it out. So in fact, you'd think probably five might be the, might be the best medium. Somebody who is ha will do it you know, when it's necessary but isn't naturally a hacker, but then isn't going to be so like, well, it's going to take me about three weeks to work at that. So you're like, ah. So, um, you know, <laughs> so you, you want to balance. Now, I don't know. I think. I think on, next time I do it, I'll want, I don't know, Tell me, have a think about it. Is it better that you're going for fives all the way down or are you going for nines? Because part of what you're looking for is discrepancies. So in a way, the numbers don't matter. What matters is, you know, you've ended up with like the manager, like the, the team, the team colleagues, I mean, it's anonymized, so I couldn't really tell, but you might end up with people indicating that this guy's great with, with, with team members, but shocking with managers or something, I don't know. I mean, like, it's, it's, a, it's an early stage thing, and I'm really interested if anybody's, do, is anybody doing anything like this? 
so we do them across the business and doing 360 reviews and trying to, um, we have a fairly formalized process, but I do try to do it from uh, direct reports to understand against the company values and the strategy, and so they've, they've answered how they're doing. Um, we're, I've done a process where like, uh, we do annual reviews, self-reviews, and then 360 reviews on a cadence to make sure that using the same form and the same questionnaires in all those times, so when the annual review comes around, I've got all this work from the past year to work on to do that same thing. But it is important to get, um, I think having the same questions consistently asked to the same people over a period of time matters better than gaming the survey yeah. and making it really hard to answer the questions. Um, but again, it just you have to make a system that works. Yeah, exactly, and, and this is it. I think that, um, yeah, not try, you don't try to ask trick questions. You're trying to ask some fair questions so, so that then when you end up with, um, you know, uh, so, for example, if you're in the middle of a candidate, you're desperate, you're in that mood of like, I want to hire this person, she's brilliant, I really want her, I want to hire her. And then you get the, 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 the references back on values that you know are super important. It's your opportunity to go back to that candidate to say, okay, so tell me about these scenarios, tell me about this situation, I'll tell you my concerns, because these are our values, and this would be my concern, tell me about that. And then you can delve deeper in. And, and actually give, give because as I said, we were the problem people once. So when I, when I was building this questionnaire, I was thinking, well, oh my God, some, people, some companies I've worked for wouldn't score me very highly on some of these things because it does depend on, it's a, you're finding alignment, you're finding a match. You're not finding you know, an objective right or wrong, it's subjective and it's an alignment of, two, of you know, a company and, and a hire that is gonna work for, for you. So you wanna give the, the, the hire a chance to understand what your concern is and make sure that, and then in your three month probationary period, if they do show those values that you uh, you know, badly, you've got an opportunity to say, look, we, ra we raised this at the interview, we said this was really important, and now you're doing this, and it is a problem. I do it personally just to really reduce the workload of annual reviews. Like, the conversation started, like, a quarters ago. Like, I've had, we've, it's been consistent over that time for the same reasons, right? You don't want to, it's hard. Say that again, sorry, I'm I didn't sorry. quite hear. I do it to redu reduce the workload for the annual reviews because I want to make sure the conversation starts. Yes. The exact conversation yep. I want to have then has been continued as a thread. Absolutely, and this is what I learned because I would be the first to hold my hand up to admit that when I started running um, You Can Book Me, I had as much opinion about performance management systems as I did about rollerblading. You know, I just didn't plan to do it because I personally hated them in the companies I'd worked for previously <laughs> as a line manager or as a, you know, somebody doing it to me. I hated them. And it was only after the kind of, you know, the brutal truth of the human condition, <laughs> which would be a title of, uh, you know, the subtext of my, of my talk, is the brutal truth of the human condition is that people will do all sorts of unexpected things. And even though it's boring to start to systemize it, you've got a framework, and then you can start working within that framework, and you give them professional development. You understand what they're interested in. You make sure that they're, you know, they're doing the right things, and if they're unhappy or if they're exposed to burnout, then you, you can take action, and if you're doing it every three months. And we, our team are really responsive to this. You know, they realize that it is in in totally in their best interests that, we, that they make it work. Thank you. You, sir. Um, so I got a question. Uh, thank you for the talk, by the way, Bridget. Uh, so you you did uh, an impressive job building from the values, all the policies, and uh, review system for the company. Uh, I wonder if you heard this question before. Don't think it's a bit too excessive for a ten-people company. And uh, following up on that. Um, let's say we have a startup, right? And, and at what point 
in time do we need to think about all these things rather than just trying to do something and build something because you can start you know doing all these policies things and you know you you now then uh, two months later you got it all, all all figured out but you burned through two months of cash and now you don't have a product so where did you find this balance okay so that's really really good question because you're right we're tiny it's ridiculous this is this is like feels very you know over bureaucratic for a company of 10 but actually the reason why we do it like this is because of bitter experience so firstly remember when you're very small you're trying to hire people if you're not able to actually explain what your company is about, then you're going to struggle to get those best people because, because really good people want to come in and, and understand and see what job it is that you want them to do and how they're going to be able to make an impact. Now, if you just say, well, we're all over the place, make it up as we go along, you know, maybe some, so I didn't, I'm really not implying that's what you were saying, but we probably were like that at the beginning. That's probably what we were like. We just hoped people would know how they could help us and that they would join our company and then we would just, you know, like some great big kind of happy, you know, happy tumbleweed run along and um, be productive. And then what happened is, you know, people would fall over all over the place and we would have problems and there are contractual problems and, um, you know, performance problems and people needed to be fired, people left, people didn't come into work ever again. You know, people started doing really unacceptable things in the office. And you start thinking, whoa, whoa, hang on a second. There's only five of us. Please, everybody get a grip. And then you think, well, no, now I have to have a dialogue. I have to have a conversation with people. And my attitude always when I realize I'm facing a problem that I have to solve, because it's one of our values, is that we like systemizing and creating a process which is repeatable. So my instinct is probably... You know, I'm sure there's very, very successful 10-people companies that don't have as much process as I do, but that is the way I like to do it because I like to know the way we're going to fit things in. But it's come to my aid so many times when, for example, people have done things that were unexpected and unacceptable, and I can say, look, you signed up to this. This is what we've said. This is why it's a problem. Um, you know, this is, th this is the action I'm going to take. Or indeed... I've ended up realizing that my, I'm, I'm behaving in a way that are contrary to my own stated values in allowing somebody to carry on working for us that wasn't you know, consistent. So in fact, they, they have been a much stronger harbor for us as a small company that could otherwise, and this is the problem, and this is why my whole set of slides about tribalism is there, is that we are exposed to arbitrary you know, we, we start to shift in the wind of desperately trying to find the solution. Somebody comes along, convinces us that they're going to be great. We think, yeah, we'll hire you. You know, you end up kind of um, responding to any, you know, any, any um, uh, 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 stimulus that comes along. And if you haven't got a harbor that says, no, but this is what we are, next minute you're Uber, you know, and they've got no idea how that happened because they just end up, they were so intent on building the best fleet of, driverless cars and limousine cars and pooled cars and apps and blah blah They just didn't know what was happening to the culture in their company. Now, I'm not saying that You Can Book Me is going to be the size of Uber at some point, but we are growing. We do want to hire more people. We're hiring, by the way. <laughs> we, do, we, we, do, <laughs> we do want to hire more people. And for me, every single time somebody has applied for a job that I want to give, offer that job to, I'm actually asking them to forgive us 
for not being IBM or Apple or Slack or you know all of the most exciting tech companies in the world. I'm not Amazon, you know, where you can book me. So coming to work for us is special. It is special, and I believe in the fact that if you did work for us, it's an amazing job. But it's an amazing job defined by this, and I can tell you what that looks like. And if somebody says, yeah, that absolutely presses all my buttons, then we have got alignment. And, it's, and it's, there is a value in those policies and procedures um, working at a small level. And then, of course, it's scalable, because then you do have a system where you can then hire more people into it, and you don't have to rethink your process every single time. One thing that this talk focuses a lot about is um, you, know, you being picky, making sure that you're bringing in the right people. Um, on the flip side, finding, getting the best talent to be interested in you yeah. and wanting to work for you. Uh, one thing that we're finding at our company and something I just experienced personally is the people we want, the best talent, are working and they're happy mm. at their companies. Mm. Um, and so what, what are your thoughts on, on you know, attracting the best people to be interested in your company, never mind you know, allowing them in, and then poaching? I mean, I saw one of the things was poaching. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, absolutely brilliant question, because it feels very depressing. You're like, well, by definition, the best people have already got the best jobs, because the best people always find the best things to do, so they're not going to think about me, and that's absolutely true. Um, and I think the first thing is you just can't think like that, obviously. You have to, you know, you have, to have corporate self-confidence. It's like, no, we've got other things to offer. We are, you know, we're the best people. So we, we're like Steve. Look at Steve. If Steve thought like that, he was never going to hire those Macintosh engineers. So... Um, that's the first thing. The second thing is, as I said, none of this is accidental. So everything that we've done around the branding and the, you know, our jobs page, our team page, when we do hire, it is, it is, in, it's, it's um, intentional. And some, some of the people that, some of the best people who work for us did find us. They were looking for us. Um, and I was out there advertising for roles, um, so they knew that we would potentially be interested in them, and then they courted us, if you like. So I think you have to, you, you know, you have to be in the, in the game. You have to kind of be available and say, yay. But then the other point about my other slides is this, you know, the talent, the talent pool is not just rock stars. And, and it's, 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 you know, it's a disservice to rock stars about often like the, it's the developers, it's the CTOs, it's the guys, the engineers, and the women's, the gals and the girls and the gals and whatever, built the, the company and the product in the first place. They can suddenly feel like, well, what do you mean? You know, we're not valued anymore because we're just, um, you know, we're being sort of set aside for trying to kind of throw, throw our hat into many, many rings. And I, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is you can look at all of those organizations who are building their own tribes, who are attracting their own talent, who are being motivated by different things. And what I plan to do, what I already have started to do, is just to get in there, just to you know, go to their conferences, go and meet them, sponsor them, make sure that my adverts are, are going to be posted on their adverts, and make it clear and available to those people that we are hiring. And then I think you then have to make it clear, like, what we're offering is we're not offering, you know, if you work for You Can Book Me, you're not going to get a team of 25 people. You're not going to get um, share options. You know, you're not, you're, you're not going to get a fancy office. You're not going to get um, 
some sort of great campus. You know, if you want that, go work for Google or Facebook. You're going to get something very, very different, but it might suit the right person. And I know it works because there are people who work for us now who absolutely love working for us. And they are, and they are A players. So it's kind of one of those things about getting the right customer. Once you've got one, it's repeatable. You can get another one. You know, and feel confident that you can go out there as long as you know what you're offering. So if somebody comes up to me and says, what are you offering? I could, you know, as I said, we're high. <laughs> no. you, 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 need, you, you, you should be able to describe why you want people um, to work for you, what job it is that you want them to do. You don't just want to randomly hire rock stars. You want to be able to say, this is what we're trying to do. These are our roles. This is the skills and the talent that um, is available. And actually, this is an opportunity for the right person to make that you know, their, their own. And that's what we're offering. And if you're really clear on that, well, then, yeah, I mean, if you, if you build it, they will come. Thanks for listening to the Business of Software podcast. For more information, go to businessofsoftware.org. Are you looking to improve your team? Would you like to learn how other founders are managing growth in their companies? Why not join the Boss community and partake in a masterclass or conference? Check out businessofsoftware.org events to see what's coming up. You can also join our free newsletter to be kept up to date when new and exciting events are launched. And it's never too early to sign up for BossConfOnline.fall happening in September 2021. Find out more at businessofsoftware.org slash fall.